that were there. We covered um, a few different aspects regarding sexual purity and what God's plan or standard is for us and what his better plan is for us. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, we read a text that says, Let not sexual immorality be named even once among you. Right? Not even once. Um, and of course, as Christians in this room, we find that incredibly easy. Right? Yeah, wrong. We find that wrong. But that's, that's not the case. Um, thank you. Um, while researching for this topic, I came across this quotation. And it says, there is one area, sorry, there is one area in life where it feels like Satan is winning the battle. It's in the area of sex. If there is one area where our bodies are screaming out for us to disobey God, it's in the area of sex. I thought that was quite interesting. Um, so like we mentioned in the last summer, we find ourselves in this sensual world where our bodies are wanting that which is contrary to what God has planned for us. The natural human nature that we have been given by God. We said that sexual desire is given by God, that it's heaven-ordained, right? It's heaven-ordained. It's not wrong, it's not evil, but patience and self-control needs to be exercised over those passions and over those desires. We mentioned that sexual purity involves more than just abstinence from sexual intercourse. That sexual purity is a lifestyle. I've got some people that remember that. Sexual purity is a lifestyle transcending to every area of my life. My emotions, my mental state of being, my social interactions, my, my spiritual growth. Um, sexual purity involves all of those different areas of my life. And once we came to the end of the presentation, we said, is there any hope? Are those standards too high? You know, perhaps. And we recall the promises of God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right. Um, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. We can have victory in our sexual temptations in our life through the power of God. I truly believe it. So we're going to go through some, some tips as to how to maintain sexual purity. Um, and we're going to start off very broad. And before we actually even get into those, um, we need to, to set a certain foundation to start with. And that is this. We need God if we're ever going to have victory in our sexual lives. We need God, period. Um, God's help is unquestionably needed, and we need to keep our focus on Christ. Those of you that were there last night for walking on water, um, I appreciate what was shared, that we can start off great, but if we keep our eyes, or if we take our eyes off Christ, we're going to sink, right? We can have victory in our lives, maybe in our um, sexual purity for a time, we take our eyes off Christ, we're going to sink, we're going to fall. So we need Christ. Um, and Satan well knows that sexuality is an area of weakness in humanity. Satan well knows that we are not fighting, or we should well know that we're not fighting just against what Paul says, flesh and blood, but against supernatural powers that are seeking our destruction, seeking our downfall. So a foundational starting point is that we cannot fight the battle ourselves. We cannot fight the battle ourselves. And maybe there are some here struggling in this room with various um, types of, of sexual sin in your life. And you have come through cycles of seeing the sin repeated in your life more than once, over and over. You find yourself falling back into the same habit. And you wonder if you're ever going to break the cycle. Maybe there are people here that are struggling with pornography. 
Maybe there are people struggling with um, any other type of, of sexual sin that we mentioned in our last seminar, or whatever the case may be. Um, we find ourselves weak. We find ourselves falling into habits and hard to rise above them at times. We need God to obtain sexual purity. And for those of you who may not feel that you're struggling with that area, you need God to maintain sexual purity. So whether it's obtaining it or maintaining it, we need God. Period. That's the foundation. We can look at areas of, um, or we can, we can think ourselves, you know, okay in this area. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 reminds us, let him who thinks he stands, take heed, lest he because if we think that ourselves spiritually proud in some way that we can do this on our own, I think we'll find ourselves flat on our face soon enough. Right? We need God. <clears throat> Turn with me in your Bible to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51. This is something that David understood, that David um, adopted after his own fall in sexual sin. Psalm chapter 51 is his prayer of repentance after his... Um, his sin with Bathsheba, as we know. So Psalm chapter 51, here we read David's cry to God for a new heart. And that's the, the point that I'm going to address here right now. We need God to give us a heart transplant. A heart transplant. So let's take a look at Psalm 51. Listen to the language here. Listen to David's heart as he's, as he's talking. Psalm 51, beginning in verse 1. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me, ever before you. David acknowledged in verse 4, coming up, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Was David's sin only against God? No. He, he killed someone. Murder. Uriah was put to death because of his sin. He sinned against Bathsheba. But he acknowledged that God was the primary one that he was sinning against. And we mentioned this is exactly the same attitude that Joseph had. Right? How can I sin and do this great wickedness and sin against God? How can I do this sin against God? David acknowledged that he needed a heart transplant. But ultimately, that he was sinning against God in whatever he was struggling with. As he continues here, um, let's take a look at verse 6. He says, You desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make known wisdom. We talked as well in the last session that sexual purity is not just an issue of externals, but an issue of, of internals. If I have a mind and a heart that is pure before God, then my behavior will naturally follow suit, right? And David acknowledges here before God, you desire truth on the inward parts. You desire purity in my heart and in my mind, and therefore I will act in a pure way. You desire truth on the inside. In Sect of Christ, page 23, Ellen White says these words, Repentance includes sorrow for sin and a turning away from it. But she says we will not renounce sin unless we see its sinfulness. Unless we see that sin is actually bad, we're going to keep doing it. Right? Unless we see that it has an effect on our lives, has an effect on our relationships, has an effect on our futures, we're going to keep doing it. Unless we see its sinfulness. Then she says, until we turn away from it in heart, 
there will be no real change in the life. Unless I have a heart transplant, I'm going to keep doing the same cycle. I'm going to fall into the same habits unless I have new desires given to me from above. New desires from above. David continues in verse 7. He says, purge me with his off, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Whiter than snow. Continuing on, he says in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Create me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. God, I need a new heart, he says. I need new desires. Because I have a dirty mind. I have a dirty record. I have dirty hands. I need a new heart because I desire these things. And I think we need to have the same prayer. God, give me a heart transplant. Give me a heart transplant. One that desires right and hates the wrong. Because right now, Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says that my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Right? I don't even know the extent of my own heart and how much evil it's capable of. So I need to pray to God for new desires. Wash me. Create me a new heart, oh God. Help me to see the beauty of your law. Help me to see the beauty of holiness in contrast with the sinfulness of sin. A heart transplant. How do we receive this heart transplant? Before we get into the other things here, step to Christ, page 18. She says, It is impossible for us, of ourselves, to escape from the pit of sin in which we are sunken. Impossible of ourselves. Our hearts are evil, and we cannot change them. Education, culture, the exercise of the will, human efforts, all have their proper sphere. Are these good things? Yeah, they sure are. All have their proper sphere, but here, in changing the heart, they are powerless. Powerless. They may produce an outward correctness of behavior, but they cannot change the heart. They cannot purify the springs of life, there must be a power working from within, a new life from above, before men can be changed from sin to holiness. That power is Christ. His grace alone can quicken the lifeless faculties of the soul and attract it to God and to holiness. So I find myself in a world that surrounded, surrounds me by sensuality. I find within myself a heart that desires sexual impurity. And I need to have the experience of Psalm 51 where God creates in me a new, clean heart. And I need that power from Christ. Outside of Him, I will constantly be a failure. I will constantly be a failure. I need a new heart from God. God, I have a heart that's prone to wander. We know that song, right? And uh, come back down to very blessing. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for my course above. But my heart's prone to wander. I need a heart transplant. The promise of God in Ezekiel 36 is, I will give you a new heart. I will take away that stony heart out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Right? I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You'll keep my judgments and do them. That's the promise of God, that he will give us a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. So the foundation of this talk, before we actually get into specifics, is that we need God, we can't do it on our own, we need a change on the inside before we'll ever experience a change on the outside. Right? Before we ever experience a change on the outside. I need to partner up with God in this battle. I need him to be my heart surgeon, giving me longings and new desires 
believing that he will, because he promised it. All right, we're going to go into 12 tips for maintaining sexual purity. 12 tips for maintaining sexual purity. And tips can come in a very specific nature, and tips can come in a general form. <clears throat> now, I did a little bit of a poll in my last seminar asking how many of you were in relationships, and no hands went up. So that's going to be adapted, obviously, that how that applies to your life will be different. So I go very specific in nature to a relationship. And you're thinking, well, this doesn't really even apply to me, because I'm not in that stage right now. But I think Christian purity is so much vaster than that. That's a word. Vaster, I think it is. Um, it's so much bigger than that, that um, the principles that we will talk about are broad enough to affect it to apply to everyone in the room, and then you can apply them to your specific situation. Right? Um, so my struggle may be different than your struggle, and your struggle may be different from the person sitting next to you, but if we have general principles that we can apply in our lives that cover all of the bases for these, um, these temptations, then we're one step ahead. We're one step ahead. Um, so some specific Specific um, tips, we could go into things such as avoid horizontals, right? We've all heard of that one perhaps before. Stay vertical with that significant other because you'll avoid a lot more temptations if you're staying vertical, right? We could go into other things such as, um, I read this one uh, last week, generally avoid touching skin from the neck to the knee, right? We could go into all of those kinds of specifics, right? Um, but I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to talk about general broad principles that we can apply to this is my area of weakness, God, how can I get victory? Okay, how can I get victory? Okay, number one. Number one. Find out what pleases... Alright, the fonts and stuff have all changed, so excuse that. Find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. In our last talk, we, we mentioned... In the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, This is the will of God for you, even your sanctification, that you would avoid these sexual immoralities. Find out what God wants for you in your life of sexual maturity. Find out what God expects of you. Find out what's involved in purity and what to abstain from and what to engage in. Find out what pleases God. We're actually just briefly going to go over that one. I'm going to get into some other ones in a deeper way. So that's just a first percept. Number two, plan ahead for purity. Plan ahead for purity. If you were to think of a character in the Bible who planned ahead for his decisions, who comes to your mind? Joseph. Yeah, Joseph. Anyone else? Daniel. That's the one that came to my mind. Daniel 1 verse 8 says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's foods. He purposed in his heart ahead of time, right? I think actually Joseph was another. Spirit of Prophecy says that as he was on his way to Egypt, he made up his mind there and then he was going to serve the God of his fathers. Right? Plan ahead for purity. If you're not in a relationship where if you are, or if you find yourself in certain circumstances where you know you're prone to fall, plan ahead and say, I need to stay out of that circumstance so that I can maintain purity. Plan ahead for it. Make it the course of, or the desire of your life to have. Plan ahead for purity. Alright, number three. This one is going to um, this one's going to take us a few minutes. This one's going to take us a few minutes. Remember that the battle begins in your mind. Remember that the battle begins in your mind. 
Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so, so is he. And if you think in your heart, so are you. So is he. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, which we mentioned or was mentioned in the talk this morning, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Right? The issue is a battle for the mind. Satan doesn't really care. I shouldn't say it that way. Satan wants your mind. Right? And so it's gone. Because if we if we give our allegiance of our mind over to a power, the rest of our, our bodies and lives will follow suit. So it's a battle for the mind. I'm going to ask you to take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Open up your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Here Paul again is writing. We've looked at a lot of different writings from Paul today regarding this issue of Christian purity. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we'll read verse 4 and 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. Remember that the battle begins in the, in the mind. Alright, here we go. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. Satan has a stronghold. Not a lot of people in this world, and perhaps of us too. Stronghold of our minds sometimes. We can't seem to divert our minds from that course of thought. We can't seem to get that picture out of our minds. We can't seem to, to stop thinking about that person or that situation or that scenario. Strongholds of our minds. Verse 5. The weapons of our warfare he's talking about, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every, every thought to the obedience of Christ. Paul here is saying and encouraging the people that we've got weapons given to us in this Christian warfare. God has supplied weapons for us in our battle, and these things aren't just regular weapons, they're mighty through God. And we're going to talk about what some of those weapons are. But he said that we can use those weapons in such a way that the strongholds that Satan can have upon our mind are cast down. That we can cast away the imaginations that, that linger there. And that we can bring every thought into obedience to Christ. If we have the mind of Jesus, we'll have the life of Jesus. If we have his mind, we'll have his life. And so it all comes down to the mind, remembering that the battle begins in the mind. Messages to Young People, page 144. Many thoughts make up the unwritten history of a single day. And these thoughts have much to do with the formation of character. Our thoughts are to be strictly guarded. Strictly guarded. For one impure thought makes a deep impression upon the soul. An evil thought leaves an evil impress on the mind. If the thoughts are pure and holy, then man is better for having cherished them. By them, the spiritual pulse is quickened, and the power for doing good is increased. She says, have a strict guard upon the thoughts that you allow to pass through your mind. Because an evil one will lead to evil actions. But a good, holy, pure thought will leave the men better for having had them. Ministry of Healing, page 491. The thoughts are not allowed, or are not to be allowed, to run riot. They must be restrained, brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Let them be placed upon holy things, 
Then, through the grace of Christ, they will be pure and true. Listen to this. We need a constant sense of the ennobling power of pure thoughts. The only security for any soul is what? Is right thinking. The only security that I can have in maintaining a victorious life in Christ is to have my mind pure. Is to have my mind thinking upon right things because that will translate into my actions. We're familiar with the, the equation or the Sort of prophecy tells us that our thoughts and our feelings make up our actions, right? And our actions lead to our our habits. Habits form our character, and our character determines our our destiny. So we can trace our thoughts to our destiny. Where would you like to go? Which destiny would you like to have? So then we need to take a strict guard on our thoughts because it will eventually lead us to one place or another, right? Controlling the mind, controlling the mind. Victory or sexual temptation, and any temptation begins in the mind. Controlling the thoughts and thinking about pure and holy things, and as the quotation says, not allowing it to run, run wild upon that scene, that person, that scenario that we mentioned. Our minds are capable of envisioning and thinking evil and impurity on their own. Are they not? Oh, the wicked heart that we have, our minds can produce that. However, it becomes a whole lot more difficult if we put garbage into our minds. Amen? And so we talked a little bit about this in our last talk as well. But Ellen White specifically mentions that we should guard well the avenues of the soul. Amen? And what are the avenues of the soul? The senses. Right? The senses. Particularly the eyes and the ears. Right? What I allow in will eventually come out. And what I allow in will see is going to transform my mind. But because we, by beholding, we, be, we become changed, right? By beholding, we become changed. So allowing and, and making, Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes, right? Job 31, verse 1. I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then would I look upon a young woman? A covenant with your eyes. A covenant with your ears. To not allow things to come in so that it will affect our thoughts and thereby affect our actions. Habits and destiny. NCT. Mm. Thank you. Mind, character, personality, 656. Right thoughts, pure and holy purposes do not come to us naturally. We can all attest to that. They don't come to us naturally. We have, we shall have to strive for them. Right? The Christian life is one that will take effort. The Christian life is one that may be a struggle. But our lives and destiny depend upon it. And in the end, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. So summary for this point, the battle is first an inward battle before it's an outward battle. The battle begins in the mind. And the external behavior and struggles that we may experience are the fruits of the roots. The roots are in our mind, and that just translates into producing fruits in our life. Does that make sense? So if we address the roots of the problem in our mind and our heart, we can expect the fruits to take care of themselves, right? Because without a root, a plant can't grow. So if we address the roots, Jesus will take care of the fruits. Jesus will take care of the roots too, amen? So we need to pluck up our struggles by the roots and address them where they begin. So I have these thoughts coming into my mind. I have these imaginations, but I know I need to control my thoughts, so what do I do? Set number four. 
This one might seem, okay, yeah, well, we all know that, Crystal, right? Pray, pray. I'm going to share a quotation with you um, that has really shook me up a little bit. Um, before I do, Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, Jesus says, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is, flesh is weak, right? Watch and pray. God's Amazing Grace, page 239. Really digest this quote, okay? God's Amazing Grace, 239. Prayer is heaven's ordained means of success in the conflict with sin and the development of Christian character. Prayer. Evangelism, great. Bible study, fantastic and essential. Fellowship, an absolute necessity. But she says that victory in your life over the besetting sins that we have, over the habits that we find ourselves falling into, and the development of Christian character from getting to sinner to saints, right? From getting to crystal to reflecting Jesus will come through prayer. It's a deep thought. That for me to, to have victory, I need to talk to God about it. <laughs> I need to talk to God about it. So my question then is, why don't we pray more? If this is heaven's ordained means, if the weapon that God has given from heaven to earth for you to have victory in your life is prayer. Why don't I pray more? Why don't I pray more? May we pray more. Knowing this um, in relation to Christian purity and other things. Prayer is God's method of becoming more like Christ. Prayer is God's method. So I'm struggling with lust. Bring it to God in prayer. I'm struggling with same-sex attraction and I don't know what to do. Fall on your knees and tell God your desire. I'm struggling with pornography. I'm struggling with masturbation. Drop to your knees when the temptation comes. Prayer is heaven's ordained means of success. Heaven's ordained means of success. The Psalm 499, what a friend we have in Jesus, says, having trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrow share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Here's another statement that I think is, is very powerful. Testimonies, volume 2, page 511. She says, if we would watch, we would become acquainted with our weak points, where we are most likely to be assailed by temptation. I'm going to pause there for a second. Do you know your weaknesses? Satan does. Satan knows your weaknesses. Satan marks our weak points of character. Those points where he thinks, I can get her in that area, at that time, after that circumstance. Do you know your weak points of character? Because those are the points in which he's most likely to catch you on. Right? She says, if we would want, we would become acquainted with our weak points. And where we are most likely to be assailed. But then she says, with watchfulness and prayer, with what? Watchfulness and prayer, our weakest points can be so guarded as to become our strongest points. <laughs> and we can encounter temptation without being overcome. I praise God for that promise. 
especially when I've taken a fall. God, I'm always going to be this way. God, I'm not going to overcome. I'm not going to be able to get over this thing. And he says, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. If I conscientiously watch and pray, the area right now that I struggle with most can become the area that I struggle with least. Now, that's, that's mind-blowing to me, to think that the, the greatest thing that I struggle with can, that's just fine. You know, I mean, of course, with strength of Christ. But you know what I'm saying? Through watchfulness and prayer, may we not underestimate the power of prayer in our lives. When we feel that temptation coming, when we feel that, that thought coming, take it to the Lord in prayer. Replace the thought and pray about it. Tip number four, becoming or maintaining sexual purity. Pray, pray, pray. Number five. Tip number five, maintaining sexual purity is memorize scripture. Memorize scripture. How many of you have found this to be effective in your life? How many of you have I see, I see several hands going up. Um, this is another thing that we can do when that thought comes, when that temptation comes, is, is claiming the promises of God. Um, Psalm 119, verse 11, says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Right? Because if it's in my heart, I can recall it in that moment of temptation. Um, God's Amazing Grace, page six, sorry, 262. She says, We might close the door close the door to many temptations if we would commit to memory passages of scripture. Close the door to temptations if we would memorize scripture. Let us hedge up the way to Satan's temptations with it is written. Close the door to many temptations that we have in our life. Sometimes we make it hard on ourselves because we haven't put God's word in our heart. Right? It is written was a method of defense and offense for who? For Jesus, right? In the, in the wilderness experience that he had, the temptations that he was assailed with, his, his weapon of offense and defense was, it is written. It is written. It is written. Second Peter 1 verse 4 says that, Thereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these, the promises, we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in this world through lust. This is directly related to sexual purity. Directly related. If we put these promises in our minds, we can claim them in the time when that temptation comes, when worldly lusts and all these things press its way upon our hearts. Memorizing scripture. Take God at his word. Quote his promises. Claim his promises to you. And in the middle of the temptation, you can say, Father, you said that you would give me the strength to overcome. Father, you said that I would not be tempted above what I am able. First Corinthians 10, 13. Father, you said that I should think upon pure, holy, true, lovely things. And that's what I want in this moment. Philippians 4, 8. Father, you said, I'm claiming your promise. You said that you would give me the power to keep me from falling. Jude 24. All of these things. Put the promises of God in your mind. So that when that temptation comes, whether it's a physical temptation an emotional temptation, a, a mental temptation, whatever the case may be, God, you said, help me in this moment to claim to live your promise, to live your word. Take him at his word. We can close the door to many temptations. She says, if we would commit to memory passages of scripture. Commit to memory passages of scripture. Number six, don't put yourself in situations 
where you will be easily tempted. I mentioned in our last seminar that oftentimes in relation to flee youthful lusts, um, we often don't run away from temptation, right? We mentioned that one preacher says we often crawl away from it, hoping that it will catch up with us, right? Hoping that it will catch up with us. And this, this tip of maintaining sexual purity, don't put yourself in situations where you know you will be tempted, is one that's very practical, and a lot of it just is on us, right? The Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, right? It, there's really no use for you praying for God not to lead you into temptation if you're just going to walk into it yourself, right? We have to do our part to avoid those things. Um, Proverbs 4, 14 and 15 say these words, Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Right? Avoid it. Get, get away from that path. If you know that's where you're tempted, stay away. If I know that my budget is tight and that I am prone to shopping sprees, I should stay out of the mall. Amen? It's practical. It's, it makes sense. If I know that I'm prone to gossiping and I see little circles starting after church this Sabbath afternoon, stay away from the circle. Amen? Stay away from where you know you're going to be tempted. In the same way with sexual temptation, if you know that you're going to experience a strong temptation with your boyfriend or girlfriend after a certain hour at night, then set a curfew and keep it. Right? Don't walk into temptation knowingly that knowing that you will be um, you will have a strong temptation for that area. If you know that certain friends or peers will be watching inappropriate movies at their home and their social. And you know that your mind is such that it's easily impressed, which it is, by all of these things, then no go. The gospel is very practical. Right? And sometimes we see these big picture principles, we don't really know how to apply them. Stay away from areas that you know you'll be tempted. Stay away from areas where you know you'll be tempted. Do your part to avoid temptation. Number seven, make the cut. Make the cut. I want to explain this one. I want you to look up the passage with me. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Dealing with making the cut. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 27 to 30. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his, in his heart. And this is exactly what we talked about at the beginning, right? The battle beginning in the, in the mind. Verse 29 and 30. He says, If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish, being that eye, than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Verse 30. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than that your whole body be cast into hell. What is Jesus saying here? 
that if there is something in your life that is causing you to fall or lead you into sin, get rid of that thing. If my hand is causing you to fall, he says, get rid of your hand. It's better for you to do without that thing than for you to be lost. Our salvation is much more important than any aspect of our lives, be it careers, be it family, be it friends or relationships or significant, or whatever the case may be, get rid of it if it's going to cause you to be lost. That's what Jesus is saying. So if you know there's something that causes you to fall into a particular cycle or habit, you need to avoid that thing, right? Step to Christ, page um, 44. She says, in giving ourselves to God, we must necessarily give up all that would separate us from him. We must give up all that would separate us from him. We cannot be half the Lord's and half the world's. We are not God's children unless we are such entirely, entirely. Cut it off if it's causing you to be separated. Cut it off. Step to Christ, page 45. She says, God does not require us to give up anything that is for our best interest to retain. This is what we've been talking about so far in this conference, right? Renouncing but getting something better instead. In all that he does, he has the well-being of his children in view. God won't ask you to give up anything that's for your benefit, but he may ask you to give up something that's causing you to fall. And in so doing, we can renounce those things, knowing that something better will be in its place. Get rid of the things, get rid of the people that cause you to fall into sin. If I know that I am prone to engaging into pornography when I'm on my computer late at night, cut late night internet out of your schedule. That's practical, right? Rearrange your schedule so you do something else wholesome in its place. If you know that you will be in certain public places, where people may not have as much clothes on as they should have on, and you know that your mind will be prone to wander, choose a different recreation activity. Amen? This gospel is practical. The gospel is practical. Chop away those things that tempt you. Make the change. Chop away. Make the cut. Number eight. Number eight. Kind of just going through these, so I don't have a few minutes. But I'm hoping that somehow it's kind of applied to your situation. Because my temptation may be different than yours, but in your mind, I bet you can see how that applies to your situation. Am I right? Yeah, we all have different areas of weakness. So, number eight, live as if always in the presence of God. Live as if always in the presence of God. And I wanted to share a really great quote with you guys, and I don't have it here. But Ellen White makes a statement that if we could just see ourselves in his presence as we really are all the time, our lives would be drastically different. Right? Knowing that the angel is here and the angel is here, seeing the whole great converse play out before me in my life every moment of the day, I, I think Elisha's servant. Right? God opened his eyes and he opens and sees the chariots of angels all surrounding. That's exactly what's in this room. 
That's exactly what's, what's surrounding us when we're in that moment of temptation where the evil forces are literally being played out in your life. The great controversy, and you are the main character in the show. We could see ourselves as in the presence of God, as Him being our audience. Some of you may have heard that sermon years ago that David actually preached Godians, right? And he had his own word, Godians. Living as in the presence of God, God being your audience. Psalm 139, David reiterates the idea, where can I go? Though you're there, right? If I put my bed in hell, behold, you're there, right? If I ascend to the highest heights of the sky, behold, you're even there. God, I can't go anywhere but you're there, right? David understood this. And in the midst of that understanding, he ends that psalm, Psalm 139, with, in light of all of this, search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Live your life as if in the presence of God. We will have to give account for our lives. Amen? Paul reminds us of that in Corinthians. That we will all have to pass before the, the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. We'll all have to give an account, not only of our you know, work lives, of our family lives, but we'll have to give account of our sexual lives. And the idea of the context of sexual purity, of the thoughts that we thought, of the words that we spoke, the actions and behaviors that we engaged in, lives in the presence of God. Because if we are living in such a presence, I'm reminded of the story of Isaiah. He comes to the presence of God, and he says, woe is me. What was me? I'm a man, I'm being lit. And he had a, a vision of who God was in light of the temple and all the things that he saw in that vision. And it led him to, to fall to his knees in repentance and confession. If we could live our lives seeing God all around us, I really believe that we would live differently. I really believe we would. Luke 8 17 says, There is nothing secret that will not be revealed. That doesn't sit very well with me sometimes. How about you? There's certain things you may think of secret in your life that I might think of secret in my life that not very many people know about. Luke 8, 17 says, Nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not come to light. If we live our lives as if in the presence of God, we won't have to fear the judgment because we'll have been used to living our lives in such a way that can be pleasing to Him. Number nine. Number nine. Know that God always provides a way out. First Corinthians 10, 13. This is a promise to write down, to memorize, to put on your fridge, to put on your mirror, wherever it might be. First Corinthians 10, 13. Why don't we actually turn there? Because I didn't put this on the screen. First Corinthians 10, 13. Does want to claim in any moment of temptation. First Corinthians 10, 13. says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Alright, pause there. First of all, in whatever temptation you're going through, you're not the only one. Alright. There's no temptation that's come to you that's not common to society and to humanity. Right? You are not the only one going through this circumstance. God, no one else has gone through what I'm going through. Yeah, they have, 
right? There's certain basic elements of temptation that have come to all men. You're not the only one going through your struggle. You're not the only one fighting your temptation or your battle. And you can even team up and be accountable to others who have had victory in that area of temptation. Take courage from the fact. Take courage from the fact that others have passed through the same ground that you are now going through and have been victorious. And have been victorious. All right, continuing the text. No temptation has come to you, but such as is common to men. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, able to bear. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Nothing will come your way that God will not give you the opportunity to claim his grace and to come out a conqueror. Nothing. Our high calling, page 323, says these words, God never permits the temptations to be greater than the capacity of resistance which a person is able to possess through the provisions given him. That's a great promise. God will never permit temptation to be of a greater capacity than the strength that you're able to tap into. God knows that you're going through a hard time that he and you can handle it together. God believes in you. God trusts you with the temptation. No, God doesn't give us the temptations. Let me rephrase that. You understand what I'm saying, though? That God will not allow you to go into any situation that he will not give you the ability to overcome. There's a couple of quotations here. Um, one of this is from C.S. Lewis. He says, often hard times prepare ordinary people for extraordinary, for extraordinary destiny. Hard times are sometimes the things that cause us to, to rely upon God more, to realize our dependence upon him in that moment of trial and temptation when we need to call out on God's name. C.S. Lewis. Here's another one. If God sends us on strong paths, he provides us with strong shoes. Right? If it's a hard path to walk, if it's a hard temptation to bear, he'll give you the shoes to handle it. He'll give you the shoes. There's another one from Martin Luther King Jr. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy ultimate measure of a man. Not in the ease, but in the hard times. Because he relies upon God in those moments. No, no, number nine, that God always gives a way out. And in that moment of temptation, we can claim the promise. God, I'm going to choose your way of escape right now. I'm finding it hard in this situation. I want to choose your way of escape. Because I know that it will keep me from hardship, heartache, pain, and suffering. I want to choose your way. Number 10. Watching my clock. Number 10. Um, I'm not going to touch on this one very well, much, because I know it's going to be addressed in another seminar. But I came across it as I was studying these principles. Be careful what you wear. Now, I thought I was talking about my sexual purity, not somebody else's sexual purity. No, we're still talking about yours. What you wear not only affects others, but it affects you, right? Modesty is good for you and good for others. Modesty is good for you. Um, 
Listen to the statement. Christians, did I put this on the screen? Oh, I did. Check that out. Christians need to seek godliness over sexiness. We need to pursue holiness over hotness. <laughs> when, I, when I read that, I was like, I gotta copy that down. <laughs> Christians need to pursue godliness over sexiness and holiness over hotness. Your value does not come in your body. It, becomes in, it comes in the fact that you're a child of the king. Don't make the battle harder for someone else. And don't make the battle harder for yourself in dressing such a way that causes you to think in a sexual manner. Because it will affect your actions, right? Our dress affects our actions. Pursuing godliness and holiness over sexiness and hotness. I'm going to keep moving here. Number 11. Read, listen to, watch things that will assist and instruct you in the way of purity. There is a, a multitude of resources at your disposal to tap into, to keep your mind fresh on the things of God. Right? Um, I praise God for verse. I really do. Um, I mean, you can filter it by presenter, you can filter it by topic. <laughs> Um, it, this is a great resource to be able to say, like, I need, I need some instruction on this matter. I need some instruction today as to how to relate to this relationship that I find myself in now. I need some instruction as to how I would please God with, with modesty or with um, physical boundaries or whatever the case may be. You can tap into books and resources that will help keep your mind fresh on the things of God and purity rather than being influenced by the world's books and movies and, and music, put things in that will help you understand the things of God and cause purity to come out. Cause purity to come out. Alright. Garbage in, garbage out, quality in, quality out. Finally, number 12. This is great. I'm right on time. Keep fighting and don't give up. Keep fighting and don't give up. Sometimes we find ourselves the example of Proverbs 24, 16. It's a verse that I've claimed more than once. A just man falls seven times, but rises again. A just man falls seven times, but rises again. Falls seven times, stand up eight. When we find ourselves overcome by temptation, don't despair. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. The struggle itself is a sign of life. An unconverted person doesn't struggle with sin. Right? I've heard one preacher say the only thing they struggle with is how can I do it more? Right? An unconverted person doesn't try and doesn't want to overcome those things in their life. So the struggle itself is a sign for life. Take courage from that. That the Spirit is working upon your heart and your mind that you desire the things of God and you're pursuing them. And in those moments of struggle, in those moments of failure, claim the promise of God. 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. He loves you enough not just to forgive you, but to cleanse you. He accepts us as we are, but He loves us too much to leave us there. In your moments of failure and temptation, keep fighting and don't give up. 
Your case is not hopeless. Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus Christ can save to the uttermost all that come to God by him. Here's a final quotation for today. TSB, Testimonies on Sexual Behavior, page 254. <clears throat> Jesus knows the circumstance of every soul. You may say, I am sinful, very sinful, and you may be, but the worse you are, the more you need Jesus. He turns no weeping contrite one way. Freely will he pardon all who come to him for forgiveness and restoration. Jesus, I'm sinful. I've strayed, I've strayed from the path. I found myself wandering down this detour that Satan had for me, not knowing where I was going. God, I need your help. He'll forgive. He'll forgive. Not only will he forgive, but it also says he'll restore. He'll restore. He'll bring us back to that path, and we can redeem the time. Redeem the time. And go from this point forward in a new experience with him. I hope these 12 tips have been practical in some way that you can apply to your life and your situation and your weakness and take courage from the fact Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will finish it and complete it before the day of Jesus Christ. We can have confidence that he's still working on me but he's going to make me what I am to be. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.